How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. College football season is a little over a week away. KU starts their season against Tennessee Tech. So we are going to do a little Kansas football primer with former Kansas running back Brandon McAnderson. So whether or not you already know the ins and outs of this team and this roster, or if you're just looking for a refresher, you want to get caught up, you're a casual fan, I think this is going to have something for everyone. BMAC is one of my favorite people to talk KU football with. So let's get to it. Brandon McAnderson, former Orange Bowl running back, now with the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear him pre and post, the Crimson and Blue Show, roaming the sidelines on Saturdays starting next weekend. Next weekend, yes, man. Sir. Football season is here. How you feeling? Man, I feel great, man. I am uh, really excited about, you know, seeing these guys get after, really excited about football in general. And I don't know if you know this, but the Raiders have Devontae Adams. Mm. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. My little, my son's in eighth grade. He's getting ready to start playing. So, man, this is just a great time of year. You got to know your audience, man. You got to know your audience. <laughs> you took all of 30 seconds to sneak in a little Raiders. Yeah, well, you know, something like that. It's all right. I expect nothing less from you. Um, so I want to start with sort of a big picture outlook on this team because, I mean, over the last 13 years, you know this, I mean, there, there's indifference has set in, I think, for a lot of Kansas fans who may not be as plugged in as they once were. So to take a sort of big picture view of this roster, if you're asked to explain this team to somebody who's not familiar with the team, not familiar with the roster, where do you start? What's sort of your elevator pitch for this Kansas football team? So I think the most exciting thing is that they're older. And I know that's not something that people see as a huge plus, but I do because I think what's happened to Kansas the last couple years is they have suffered from the age of the surrounding teams they're playing. Um, I know preparing for Coastal Carolina, they had six super seniors, they had 18 starters that had been four, at least four-year players. Uh, Oklahoma State had no starter that was not that was less than a three-year player. It is hard to take 18 and 19-year-olds into a stadium like uh, they have in Stillwater, like they had down in Coastal Carolina. These teams that are strong, talented, and old to win with 18 and 19-year-olds. This year, they're not going to ask them to do that. They're not going to be trying to win with 18 and 19-year-olds. So I, I'm very optimistic just about the age and the maturity of the people around. Not just that. There's more good players. So you can look at it and say, well, what's the top of the roster look like? And maybe they don't have 
you know, bona fide all Big 12 players outside of guys like Kenny Logan, potentially guys like Craig Young, Earl Bostic. But what they do have is more good players. So they have two, three deep at some positions, and I think that'll be to their benefit. What are your expectations then for this team this year? I think they'll win. My expectation is that they'll win at least five games. And I've been saying that as much I've been saying that as much as I possibly can. And, you know, I'm an optimist and I'm a homer. So this is not, you know, this isn't surprising to anyone that's ever heard me speak. Um, But part of it is that I believe, I believe that they believe in themselves. When you hear them talk about what they have going on, about what they feel is going on, about uh, the approach, about how much they enjoy the discipline, about their connection to the coaching staff, uh, about their performances, how well they ended last year. I think they're telling me that they're going to be a team that can win at least five games, and I believe them. Okay, so I'll push back on that just a little bit because you 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 put the qualifiers out there. You're a homer. That you're an optimist. That's fine, but I would I would push back on that if I'm a, a pessimist, right, to say that this was one of the worst defenses in the country last year. And you can, it doesn't matter what stat you want to look at. They were, I think, second to last in the country in points per game. They were second to last in the country in yards per play allowed. They gave up, I think, 500 yards per game. Um, I believe they were dead last in the nation in third down conversions against. So if I push back and say, okay, what, what about all of these red flags defensively that we saw last year? What's your reason for optimism that some of those things are going to be improved upon in 2022? So last season, uh, they played without an offseason. And I know that people see, it's easy to see Kansas and say, oh, they're making excuses again. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be fixed. I thought we were supposed to buy in. I thought it was going to be a neat deal. And I understand a pessimistic fan base, even if you support the program. So I understand a fan not being as patient as someone like me. But at the same time, if you watch the games, now I'm not saying their defensive statistics would have been extremely better. But the first half of the season, their offense was completely inept. And it's your offense is part of your defense, especially when you don't have depth. So there was times last year where Kansas was playing a secondary that featured no one over the age of 19 often. So there was times when it was OJ Burrow, Jason Gilliam, uh, Jacoby Bryant, and Kenny Logan was the only veteran anywhere near uh, the plays. Then you move up a level to linebacker. Uh, you're looking at uh, Taiwan Berryhill, second year player. Uh, you're looking at guys that really didn't have backups. You know, Gavin Potter was a guy that struggled a lot early in the season. There was no one to spell him. There was no one to take him out and say, here's a coaching point or two. So that was another position that didn't have depth. And Rich Miller, I thought, was a warrior. He played all three spots. He, he was a really strong player. You move up to the defensive end of the football, the, the, the defensive line, not an entirely, not a, a weak unit, but a, a unit that suffered from lack of support at the second level. I felt like by the game, by the third game, they felt like they needed to make plays more than they needed to do their jobs. So there would be guys really trying to make tackles as opposed to being gap sound. So there was all these little breakdowns just from performance and lack of depth. Then take into account how much defense can you get in in three weeks? 
when you've never seen the players before. You know what I mean? Like it's, I, I'm coming into this coaching staff. I saw them in the summer, but I don't see them play football in the summer. I watch films in the fall, but I haven't coached them myself. And think about how disjointed 2020 was for Les Miles and his staff, completely disjointed. So now I have one year film that was completely disjointed. I have 90 days of summer with no football. And now I have got to form a depth chart, teach a system, and determine who's who in 21 days because that's basically what you have for camp. That is a tall order for anyone. And to their credit, they started to make progress towards the end of the season. So if you're pessimistic about the defensive performance, I would look at games like Baylor uh, where they were close for the first half, but they literally played, I don't know, six, seven series of tough offensive football against Baylor. Baylor had that big offensive line. They had those two strong backs. They had a lot of speed at receiver. And what happened on the opening drive of the second half? Long touchdown. And then that game was over. That wasn't, if you looked at that game, you'd say that's a poor defensive performance. But that was a hot day. And that defense was on the field for a long time. So I think a lot of the defensive struggles had to do with offensive ineptitude. And then if you move on to the other side of the football and offense, it was mostly the O-line. The O-line had a really tough time figuring out continuity, figuring out where someone was playing, adjusting to a different coaching style. They've talked a lot about Coach Fuchs and how simple his style is and how uh, his techniques really reach people. And, and they like how it's been, but it took a long time initially. So that group really struggled. When your offensive line is struggling, it's hard to be strong at quarterback. It's hard to get time to push the ball down the field. So what happened was you had a Duke game where those two, I think Kansas last year was better than Duke just from a talent perspective. They just weren't used to playing winning football and they couldn't find a way to win that game. But if you move to OU, I think was more of an anomaly than anything else. OU played poorly. Kansas played perfectly and had a chance to win. Texas, TCU, West Virginia are not necessarily blueprints, but they are blueprints to playing what I would call uh, serviceable football because Texas, a lot of things went right early. And Texas stormed back, and then Kansas answered. TCU, they didn't have a bunch of perfect things happen. You know, it wasn't like they were playing lights out. They gave up an early touchdown in that game, a 44-yard touchdown. They answered the bell every single time. When they needed to move the ball through the air and they had less time, Jalen Daniels answered the bell every single time. Move on to West Virginia. West Virginia, the, the margin was a little wider, you know, 10 to 14 points. But when they needed it, they moved the ball down the field. Jalen Daniels made the plays he needed to. When they needed to stop, they got it. And a lot of it was Tyron Johnson, you know, being an impact player off the edge, Rich Miller kind of shoring up the inside, and then Kenny being like the all the do-all player at the back end. So I do think there were moments where they looked like a like a team that was on to something. I don't think that was anomaly. I think those last three games are what's going to progress them into this season. You mentioned Jalen Daniels, and he is by every account going to be this team's starting quarterback in Every offseason, BMAC, you and I used to talk all the time when I was working in Lawrence, and we'd get to about this point in the year, and we'd start asking, okay, who's going to be the quarterback? How long of a leash is he going to have? How long before he gets benched, and then you try the second-string guy, and then how long before that guy gets benched, and the, the first-string guy comes back in? It was a revolving door for the longest time. I think people are just starving for stability at that position. Do you think Jalen Daniels, based off what you saw, really those last three games of the year that you just referenced, do you think that he's the real deal? Absolutely. I, I think he's a real deal without question. Not simply because of his performance. You, I mean, you can look at the numbers. I think he was basically top three in every major category over the last three weeks of the season in the Big 12. So not just for himself or for Kansas. In the Big 12, he was top three in QBR 
top three in yardage, top three in touchdowns, top three in uh, touchdown to turnover ratio. So those numbers were impressive alone. Now, you know, you can say what you want about the defenses they played, whether they were strong or not, but he played well. But that's not really why I'm so excited about him. I, I cannot wait to watch this guy play football. He he lights up every room he was he's in. Like if he walked in this room right now, you could really see my face. That's that's what I mean by how <laughs> this guy is just an energetic explosion, man. Everywhere he goes, the energy rises a level. And it's genuine. You know, it's someone that this guy is for real. Everything he says is for real. That's not even counting his skill set. His skill set is one. He is a guy who can zip the ball outside the numbers in ways that you only see on Sundays. Now, I don't know if he'll end up being a quarterback that plays on Sundays, but he has a skill set that translates. Being able to zip the ball out there in your in your short screen passing game, that's important. Being able to get a sure thing on a three-step drop when you, like you mentioned, third down conversions. So sometimes it's third and four, you need five yards, that's a timing round. So that ball's got to be out on time, it's got to be in a good location, it's got that zip because the, the windows aren't huge in the Big 12. He can do that. So that's what he can do with his arm. His leadership unquestioned and then now his as a runner you know jason bean spoiled us because he's one of the fastest human beings i've ever seen his run against coastal carolina to my eyes was the fastest i've ever seen someone run on a football field so it it was impressive jalen doesn't have that but what he does have is wiggle he's got he's got good speed he's got wiggle he's got smarts he knows when to get down and with matt gildersleeve putting on 20 pounds of muscle you know i hear all the time about offseason like hey you know who's in good shape frank clark or, you know, somebody like when they're in their contract season, Matt Gildersleeve and what they've been able to do with their strength staff, that is kind of the proof in the pudding about where I am in terms of my confidence and belief in the players because this guy is able to help these young men transform their bodies in ways that you just wouldn't imagine that Jalen could make the kind of jump physically that he made in this one year. And I think it's going to be a huge impact on how we can help in the running game, how he can hold up. If he is taking hits, I think he's an impressive player. I honestly cannot wait to watch him play football. You, you, you mentioned the, the charisma, and I think that sort of stuff, like some people tend to roll their eyes at it and say, okay, well, there's a lot of guys with charisma who aren't any good. But he seems to sort of check every box in terms of the guy you want leading a locker room, right? Like aside from, from his performance, which, as you just laid out, was, was really impressive at the tail end of the season, he seems to maybe just possess that, I hate to say it, uh, X factor or whatever, the it quality. Um, but he has it. Whatever it is, he seems to have it. And, it. and it seems to be something that maybe that position's been lacking at Kansas over the past decade or so. Absolutely. I mean, I, I played with Todd Reesing, one of the greats at the University of Kansas. He was all it factor. I mean, if you looked at skill set, you know, you would pick Jalen Daniels over Todd Reesing 100 times out of 100. You would have picked Kerry Meyer over Todd Reesing 99 times out of 100. This was the one scenario where you didn't, simply because he had all these intangible skills. He had a certain level of fearless, fearlessness. He had a certain level of confidence in himself, a certain level of understanding of what he was looking at. And if you put all those things together, you had an all-Big 12-level performer independent of his physical ability. And Jalen has that kind of thing. It's just the like I mentioned before, Texas, a lot of things went right early. So it's easy to play well when things are going right. That was not the case against TCU. They did struggle at times. I do think there were moments in that TCU game where they looked at each other and were like, again? And he wouldn't let him. He would not let him drop. And it wasn't just him. Kwame Lasseter deserves a lot of credit for that, too. He was a guy that 
really helped uplift that passing game when they really needed it, they could go to number eight. So that'll be a, a an in, interesting development this year to see who is going to be a guy that Jalen trusts enough because he can't do it on his own. Who's going to be the guy that he trusts enough to get them through those tough spots? Because like you said, third down football is very important. You have to be in manageable third downs and you have to have people that can convert on a money, money down. So he needs people outside that can help him as well. I want to get to that in a second, but when you bring up Todd Reesing and, and having that sort of in, intangible quality that, the, that you need at that quarterback spot, I think it was, it was the Colorado game, right, where he, he came in and, and won the game. At that point, when he, when he comes in the game, did you already know that about him? Did you, did you already know that he had that? Like, what were your sort of expectations when uh, Meyer sits, Reesing comes in? Did you think anything of Todd Reesing at that point in your career? No. I didn't. You know, the first time I met him, this is a story I tell a lot. I don't think I've ever told it on air, though. So this is a this is a short exclusive. Here. Let's get it. Um, he came in the winter, and in the winter, you live in the Jayhawk Towers. You walk across that Burge parking lot to the facility all the time. Long walk, and you cross paths with all kinds of players. And he had just gotten there, and uh, we happened to see him. And he comes up, he introduces himself, he shakes my hand, and he says, I'm Todd Reesing. I'm going to play quarterback here. I'm like, hey, what's up, Todd? Shook hands with him, kept it moving. I was with uh, one of my, my best friends in college, who's a linebacker. His name is Eric Washington. He's from Detroit, had dreads, real tough guy, and uh, but a funny guy, too. And um, he reaches out to shake Eric's hand. Eric doesn't raise his hand. He doesn't even attempt to shake his hand. He looks at Todd and says, you're a little fat-ass quarterback, and walks past him. So <laughs> I'm not saying that that's what I thought. But I'm telling you that there wasn't many people that were extremely impressed with him. It wasn't like he showed – I tell you, the guy who we thought like that about was Kerry. Kerry's 6'2", he's 220, he's, he's a high 4'5", he's smooth, he's a great athlete, he's got the best hair on the team. Like, that's a guy you're like, damn, that guy is a stud. And he was a stud, and he proved that even at another position. Um but Todd, he didn't have that appeal. And in practice, Todd was not a practice player. You know, he made mistakes. Uh, he still was fast and loose. He kind of did the same stuff. But, you know, you can't get tackled, so you can't see his elusiveness. You know, you can't you can't value his, his ability inside the pocket because people stop when they get past the pocket. So some of his things you couldn't even see in practice. But he comes into that Colorado game, and I don't feel like I had an expectation that he was going to be great. I did have an expectation that we needed a change of pace. And that's what he was. Basically, he only played – he helped us win that Colorado game, and then he played sparingly at Iowa State. So it wasn't like he – it happened, and then he was just off to the races. I think he started the Mizzou game or played most of it, but he still – he didn't play that well in the Mizzou game. You know, he didn't play – he didn't have, like, a crazy impact in the Iowa State game. It was actually the following spring – where we got to see, oh, okay, this guy is for real. He's definitely our starting quarterback. And that's when it started to – we started to feel like he's capable. And you know how that goes. Once you have a capable quarterback, it kind of enhances everything else. So now the O-line feels a little bit better. The wide receivers feel a lot better. So now you're looking at it and you're like, we got some talent out here. Marcus Henry, Dexton Fields, young Desmond Briscoe, uh, Raymond Pendleton, there's all these guys we can throw in here. We got Derek Fine at tight end. Now we got weapons, and we got this guy that can distribute the rock. So once spring hit, then it was a certainty. That's awesome. I don't. I, I definitely never heard that story, and I'm I'm very uh, I'm honored that uh, you shared it publicly for the first <laughs> time on the podcast here. Uh, you were referencing this before um, talking about Jalen Daniels in this offense, wide receiver. 
seems to be one of the position groups um, kind of most up in the air as to who's going to fill what role. Do you have any idea who's going to be wide receiver one on this team? I would say no. I don't have a, a good understanding of it, and it's an interesting position for a lot of reasons. You're, you know, if you're losing – they lost a lot of production. You know, losing Kwame last year, he was the go-to guy. He was the guy that made things happen when they really needed it. Um, so that's going to hurt. But when you look at the group, it's not a group that lacks talent. If it lacks talent, we wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be like, yeah, that's a group. That, yeah, I don't know. They have talent. It's a matter of are guys going to be comfortable stepping into bigger roles are guys going to be comfortable stepping into different roles? Are guys going to be comfortable, you know, being the young guy and now being the guy? What I like about their group is size. They've got a lot of size. So Quentin Skinner is a 6'5", slim, smooth wide receiver, lots of top-end speed, a guy that gets in and out of cuts like a smaller man. He's going to be a tough cover for people, especially on the outside. Luke Grimm, uh, good top-end speed. He can play inside and outside, and he blocks his tail off. You know he's going to be out there. Same for LJ Arnold. Those guys are similar to me because of how hard they work in the run game, and they'll reward you if you give them opportunities in the red zone. The guy I was most interested when I went to camp was Doug Emelin, the transfer from Minnesota. He just looks like a guy. I mean, he catches the ball after the play. He's got low pads. He's got a little shake in him. He breaks tackles. He catch, He's a hand catcher. He's an impressive player. I was really excited about him when I saw him. And Tanaka Scott is a big, big man. He's a redshirt freshman from Alabama. Um, he goes about 6'5", and I mean a real 6'5", about 200. Uh, he's a guy that can be a red zone threat. He's a guy that if you play man coverage – you better pack a lunch because he's a big physical man. So that's a group that has a lot of talent without a lot of proven ability. Trevor Wilson was a guy that had some some hot moments, and then he had some cold moments. But he's a talented person, so I'm excited to see what he can do. So there's talent there. It's just a matter of who's going to step up and be that guy. Will anybody step up and be that guy? Will it be rotational? We'll just have to wait and see. But talent in the room is definitely there. The flip side of that, the one maybe position group that – most excited about, I think, to the to the average fan would be the running back room because you've got, like you just mentioned, you've got talent, you've got depth, you've got capable bodies, a lot of guys vying for touches, and I think sort of the face of that room and maybe the face of the team right next to guys like Kenny Logan and Jalen Daniels would be Devin Neal, who had a really impressive freshman season. You're a former running back. What's your scouting report on Devin Neal? Devin Neal, I mean, the upside is unlimited. The guy just turned 19. Um, I went to high school with his mom. He went to the same high school I went to, so I watched him closely. I thought he was a pretty raw running back prospect, even though he had a lot of upside, obviously, being a four-star player, getting recruited by everybody you could think of. But he, he, used his, he relied on his athleticism a lot, and that's a tough transition to college for guys that rely on their athleticism because you won't have the advantages that you used to have. What happened with him is that he changed that so quickly. His understanding of vision, his understanding of finding a vertical seam, his understanding of breaking tackles. Um, he's just been incredible, and I think the sky's the limit for him. I think he's an all-Big 12-level back. So him as a number one, as a lead dog, I think is a short, as a short thing as anything you'll see. Now, behind him is where it gets fun. Now, it's not fun for me for Devin because De Devin is A-plus. He's number one. After that's where it gets fun. Kai Thomas reliable. I kind of call him steady Eddie. This guy will 
he will get you the yards that the player is designed to get. He might pop some. He might be able to get in the pass game, break a tackle, and score a touchdown. But you know what he won't do is he won't make negative plays. He won't make mental errors. He won't fumble the football. This guy is reliable. So he's a reliable number two, a guy you can put, be as a third down back and also as a primary back if he becomes a hot hand. And then you have Daniel Hyshaw, who, um, I mean – this guy flashes like nothing I've ever seen before. And he's interesting because he played a little bit as a true freshman, um, had a big game against OU. I think he rushed for 85 yards um, in that game. And this guy's talent is out of this world. I just don't think that we've got a chance to see him a lot because he missed all of last year with injury. This guy is 5'10", 220, rocked up. He will Talk about packing a lunch. If he gets to the second level, good luck. Because it's not just power it's speed it's agility uh he can bend he made two plays in the scrimmage that i went to i needed help getting my jaw off the ground uh, for some of the plays that he made so well, the way i see it is and we haven't even gotten you know uh to savvy morrison who's another solid contributor smooth powerful back so that's four guys and the way i see it is we talked about that lack of depth or not lack of depth but lack of proven ability at the wide receiver position I think there's going to be a lot of competition because there's only one ball. So if you're a receiver, you need to prove that you're worthy of additional reps, worthy of additional touches, because if you prove you're not worthy, this is a team with four strong running backs. This is a team with four strong tight ends. So if that wide receiver group is not able to compete at the level that we expect, they've got options. They can put more backs in the backfield. They can put more tight ends. They can formation people. They have options because of skill and ability of that group. The way I see it, Devin Neal, number one, you know, a pro one day. I think Kai Thomas is as solid as it gets. And I think that, uh, high saw is your wild card. I mean, this guy, I think any of the four of those guys could rush for more than 80 yards in a game. And I bet that they likely will all rush for more than 80 yards in a game this season. I truly believe that. With, with Devin Neal, do you think he has legit, you know, all big 12 talent? I mean, I know it's big 12 is stacked at running back with Deuce Vaughn and, and Bajan Robinson. So, I'm not asking you if he's going to be first team All Big Twelve this right. year, but but just in terms of skill set, talent, ability, like the, the, is he that level of player in your eyes? He's that guy. I think he's one of the more talented people we've ever had here, and I think what's happened, and it's, uh, I know it's only been one year, so I don't want to get on people about this, but I think they see it and it starts to feel normal, and he does things and it looks easy. So the idea is like, well. You know, is he really working hard? Is he really that fast? He is. It just looks easy. Some of the things he does, it looks easy. He made plays in the scrimmage that I went to with jab steps and spins and vision and and cutting ability and power. There's no question in my mind that he will be an All-Big 12 running back one day here at the University of Kansas. Don't know if it's this year, like you said, stack position. But I think there will be a year where you're saying, oh, Devin Neal, that's a no-brainer. First team All-Big 12. I want to talk about this coaching staff now, but I want to go back to a story. I don't think we've ever talked about this since it happened. Um, and I believe, I'm, I'm kind of I'm piecing it together here, but I believe it was after the first game of the 2017 season, the, the loss to Nichols State. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you remember running into me outside of the stadium immediately after that game? I do, but I don't. No, it was a, it was a very it was a very brief interaction. We were okay. we, you were walking one way, I was walking the other way, and it was the first game of the season. And I'll I'll paraphrase here. You basically just kind of threw your hands up in the air and said, "I'm done, man." Like incredulous because 
at that point in Kansas football, every offseason you sort of had to talk yourself into why we should believe in this coaching staff. Because whether it was things that had happened the previous year, on-field decisions, off-field decisions, things that happened in the offseason, it felt like you were always kind of having to sort of convince yourself that maybe it'll work. Like maybe everything, I'm going to have to put all the negative stuff aside and just hope that things are going to piece themselves together. And this feels like the first time with Lance Leipold and this coaching staff entering their second season at Kansas where you don't have to do that. Like this team may not win five games like you expect, but I don't feel like there's anybody having to convince themselves that this is this is the right coaching staff to get the job done. I'm just curious, now that you've seen not just all of last season, but now a full off season in what this coaching staff is trying to implement at Kansas, what is your level of trust or belief in this coaching staff that they're going to get it right? So on a scale of one to 10, I put it at a, as a, as a cool, even 12. I am completely confident in this coaching staff. I am completely confident in their ability. Uh, when I interview these guys, I get a chance to talk to these transfers. I got a chance to interview them when they first got on campus. Literally every person, when I asked them what drew them to Kansas, it was coach Leipold. And it wasn't like, Oh, coach Leipold, you know, he's like, uh, like your doppelganger. Uh, (laughs) You know, like this super fun, love and chuck the ball around young. Let's have a good time. That ain't what it was. It was, they could relate to his honesty. They could relate to him being very trustworthy. They wanted to come here because of his stability. This just happened. Uh, They just got a offensive line player out of the transfer portal from Louisville. I think his name is Colby. I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Canes, Jane, something like that. Um, Big time player. His reasoning in his article with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant was the stability of the coaching staff. Now, when have you ever heard that at the University of Kansas? And what he's talking about is literally never, by the way, never. Never. Even people older than that's just not something you as a recruiting tool, right? Yeah. You don't ever hear as a recruiting tool that I want to be at the University of Kansas because of stability. And this was one of the things I was very excited uh, that Travis Goff was able to get uh, Coach Leipold is the stability and infrastructure. When you have a place like Kansas that has had such high turmoil for 10 straight years, structure matters. So structure goes beyond uh, a lot of the cliche disciplinary sayings and doings and do this, do that, do this. It's, it's about familiarity. So you're looking at the the offensive brain trust is Leipold, Kotelnicki, and uh, Coach Zabronski, a quarterback coach. Those guys have been together forever. These guys have been together since they were literal D3 coaches. So they have seen a bunch of different types of teams. They've played in a bunch of different types of schemes. They've played a bunch of different kinds of teams to play. So they've adjusted year in and year out. One year they're a run-heavy team. One year they're a pass-heavy team. So they're adjusting with what they have, and they know what they're looking for when they recruit. The other thing I like about the infrastructure, I think is Leipold and Brian Borland have been together for 17 or 20 years, Mm -hmm. is that – when you recruit a player and you see something that you like in him, you can say, Ooh, you know who he reminds me of? Remember that guy we had back in 2012, blah, 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 blah. Maybe he projects as this same type of player. So now beyond individual understanding of positional players and what you're looking for, now you have a history of finding people like this. I think the example this year, you know, the guy last year I would pick is Rich Miller. Rich Miller is a two star from Detroit King High School. 
never really played at Buffalo. And by the fifth game, he was our best player. He was our best player on defense by the fifth game. You know, Kenny Logan not included. Maybe even Kenny Logan included. That was by the fourth or fifth game. This is not some highly recruited player. This is a developmental program. They are going to bring people in, and they're looking for skill sets that they can develop, and they know what they're looking for. I think the guy this year on offense is going to be Dominic Pooney. This guy was a uh, player at Central Missouri State. I went to the camp. This guy's pushing for first-team reps already. He got here in July. So what that does to me, that talks about Coach Leipold's credibility. One, that they want to come here at all. Two, that he's a man of his word, that they're going to have opportunities to earn playing time, that there is nothing set in stone, that if I come here and I play well, I'll have a chance to play. That goes to that higher, bigger picture of how much these guys trust Coach Leipold. And you can see the trust in the program already. And let's be honest, they're selling – they're not selling wins. They're selling culture. They're selling structure. They're selling improvement. They're selling, hey, this is a nice town and a great place to play football, and you're going to work your tail off when you come here. But you're going to leave a better person. You're going to leave a better player, and they're buying in. When you don't have players transfer in this day and age, you don't have players hyper-focused on NIL opportunities in the recruiting game, you're doing something. And I think it's a great time to have a staff that is developmental, especially where we are now. You know, We don't have the resources to go spend a bunch of money and get a bunch of recruits and then immediately turn this thing around. It's a, it's a, it's a long process that takes player development, and I think they're in a place now with him that they can get it done. Uh, before you go, you, you mentioned Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator who was with Lance Leipold at Buffalo a few years before that at, at Wisconsin-Whitewater. That's the stability and the infrastructure that you're talking about. What's the biggest thing that you've learned about him, whether it be watching him call plays and run this offense or um, you know how he manages the roster, the, the depth chart? What's the biggest thing that stands out to you when you think about Kotelnicki? He's light. You know who he reminds me of, and I think Kansas City people will resonate with he reminds me of Big Red Andy Reid. And I'm not talking about like an accomplishment. I mean like an approach. He's very relatable. So he's got a, he's got a good understanding of the players he's working with. He coaches that tight end group that's a strong group that brings a lot of versatility to the offense. He has the sort of ease to him where he's a problem solver. You know, he's not going to sit up there. We've sat here with different offensive coordinators, guys like Meacham, we've heard words like air raid. We've heard things like uh, uh, decided strategic advantage. Schematic advantage. Schematic, <laughs> Schematic advantage. advantage. Yeah. We've heard all these different things about what people are selling. Coach Kotelnicki is selling nothing. He is a problem solver. So he's looking at his roster and trying to solve problems. You saw it last year. This was a outside zone heavy team. That was the backbone of the offense. They couldn't run outside zone early in the season. They didn't understand the concepts. The backs couldn't get to the mesh, the, the stretch point. The, the stretch and puncture concept was complicated for them. The offensive line wasn't getting to the second level. So you saw a lot of problems in their outside zone. Iowa State game, uh, second half, they got beat up on pretty good in that first half. Second half, they came out and they ran a bunch of different variations of outside zone. And they got a little bit going. And they got a little bit going. And then they feel a little bit better about themselves. So what I like about Coach Kovalicki and his staff is they are problem solvers. So they are not hell-bent on telling you this is a system we're going to run. We have watched Kansas football teams commit to a system to their own detriment. We watched the team have the fastest three and outs in the history of college football just so they could say they were committed to a style of offense. That is not what this is. This isn't a this isn't a commitment to style. This isn't a commitment to uh, a fad or a way of doing things. This is a commitment to putting the players in the best position they can, and they have – 
15 years of a track record of doing this over and over again in different ways. So that's what excites me about this group. They're, they're a fun loving group. They're a team that they are the most present coaching staff I've ever been around. You know, they are not a bunch of guys looking for the next job and that's hard in this business because coaches I loved and I don't even blame them for it because it's the nature of the business, but you know, they're looking for that next job. You know, they look to be head coaches one day. They should. Everybody wants to aspire to do better. These guys probably have those aspirations as well, but they are very present in what they're doing now. And I really appreciate the stability and the structure that they brought to the program. Love it, man. This has been a, a great little primer. I know you're juiced and uh, I yes, appreciate sir. you bringing the energy, man. Thanks, BMAC. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from BMAC. We'll catch up with him later in the season. We'll be back again with another episode next week, getting ready for Kansas and Tennessee Tech. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.